It's episode 133 of the Cincinnati and Nate Sports Podcast, as Tony Peters and Seth Kime return to talk about the halfway point in boys basketball. Before we get to that interview, we have a couple more things to talk about, such as the newest name for a team in Northern Kentucky, and how about the brackets for Indiana girls basketball? All that and a lot more on the local Sunday Sports Podcast. Welcome to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. This is a weekly podcast dedicated to sports happening in the Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio region. Visit theleewmowen.com slash podcast to listen on your favorite platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and more. Follow the host on Twitter at the Lee W. Mowen and the podcast at Sunday Pod. Opening theme is Arpy by Dan Hennig from the YouTube Music Library Collection. Now for your host, Lee W. Mowen. You know what I remember from Saturday's episode last week? I mentioned talking about the new name for a baseball team in Norfolk, Kentucky, and yet I forgot to talk about it. I'm smart like that. Also, we'll talk a little bit about the high school girls' basketball brackets released in Indiana just a couple days ago before we move on to the interview with Tony Peterson, Seth Keim, again, of the Southwest Ohio Full Court Press podcast. Definitely great work those two turn in. First up, the baseball team's new name. You might have heard me talk about the Florence Freedom a lot last year. Well, they're no longer the Freedom. Welcome in, the Florence Y'alls. Yes, really. That's the name of the team. Originally, I wasn't a big fan of it, but as I wait a couple days, now weeks, to talk about it, I don't hate it. I mean, it's not... You know, the choice I would have stuck with, but that's okay. I think it drew about 70% of the fan vote. People still are kind of split in the fence. I see a lot of negativity towards the new name. And I see a lot of love towards the new name. There's, you know, hot or cold extreme. I'm kind of on the warm side of things. I don't mind it, actually. Like I said, it's grown on me, the Florence Yalls. If you go to sportslogos.net, you can read the story there. Yes, based on the water tower saying Florence Y'all. Now it's the Florence Y'alls. And I mentioned this story a couple times, but I forgot an important detail, or I never mentioned it. Well, you know about the Florence Mall. It exists. There's stores there. And it's a pretty nice mall. Pretty small mall, but not bad in Florence. So, the Florence Mall opened in 1976. But two years before that, the city of Florence erected the water tower right by I-7175. Well, in Kentucky, you can't have a water tower advertising something that doesn't exist. That makes sense, right? So, to correct that problem, instead of just waiting two years and painting mall on it, they would take out the legs of the M and make it a Y and then put an apostrophe between Y and all and make it Florence, y'all. The colors of the baseball team, the red sticks around from the freedom, white 
and Pantone 2141C. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't think people know what that color is outside looking it up. It is baby blue. So, there's a graph on here that describes why. Classic red, not just Florence, but all American. The red on the water tower, the white on the water tower too. And the cream white ties back to the tower. It's warmer, more approachable than pure white. Okay. And the baby blue, on a nice day, the sky behind the tower looks like this shade of blue. A new twist on classic red, white, and blue. Think of it as maybe a tad darker than the North Carolina Tar Heel blue. Maybe a tad. Might be the same. I don't know. There's also graphs saying why the apostrophe for y'alls is a star. The shape of alls and y'alls is supposed to be a subtle shape in the state of Kentucky. Sorry, Commonwealth of Kentucky. Yeah, you can read all that. The Commonwealth logo, the player and umpire reflect the pioneer and statesman, the original Kentucky seal, and keeping the sentiment of being united but using y'all language. So yeah, Florence Y'alls is the name. In the history of this franchise, it's one of the oldest teams around. It's been around since 1994, the franchise has, but it moved down to Florence in 2003. Previously part of Hamilton, while building what's now known as UC Health Stadium. So, yeah, Florence Y'alls. I don't hate it. I like the colors. Is it silly? Yes. Are people talking about it? Yes. Uh, I don't mind it, actually. So, there you go. No more Florence Freedom. Only Florence Y'alls. I have to assume it's Y apostrophe Alls. On the sports logo site, it's just Y'alls, no apostrophe. Like, that really matters, but there you go. Florence Y'alls. Now we'll talk about high school basketball, girls basketball, in the state of Indiana for our local teams. Again, the Miami Valley has a couple of counties in Indiana, Wayne County being the biggest one, Richmond. You also got Union County, Jay County, Randolph County. This is from Pal Item by writer Scott Proctor. Looking at the girls' basketball sectionals in Indiana, everyone gets in, just like in Ohio. The IHSAA revealed the girls' basketball state tournament bracket Sunday evening. This article written January 27th. So hey, we're actually getting something that just happened. Lucky you! Normally we wait about two weeks, because why not? We'll start off with Class 4A, Sectional 9. It's hosted by the Richmond Red Devils. Which, by the way, there is one more thing to talk about Richmond, but we'll do it uh, after this. Teams begin postseason play February 4th, so next week, with some familiar sectional opponents. Area teams are spread among the three sectionals with a handful of regular season rematches on tap. And the PAL item starts off with Class 4A Section 9 at Richmond, the home of the Red Devils. And Richmond 12-10 and 10, will take on the Anderson Indians at 12-9. There's also Pendleton Heights 11-10 against 10-10 and 10 Greenfield Central. And you have number 8 Mount Vernon taking on New Palestine. Mount Vernon number 8 in the state in 4A, they're 20-1. And, and New Palestine 14-6. and 6. The semifinals, well, whoever wins Richmond Anderson will take on 6 and 14 Muncie Central. Whoever wins Pendleton Heights Greenfield Central will take on the winner of Mount Vernon New Palestine. And the 
sectional bracket. Mount Vernon is 5-0 and against the foes that are playing in that sectional. This is records against sectional opponents. New Palestine is 2-1. and The only loss was to Mount Vernon. A 44-25 Mount Vernon win. Anderson is 2-1. and They did beat their Richmond foes in OT 61-59. Also Muncie Central, but lost to Mount Vernon. Greenfield Central is 2-3. Pentland Heights is 1-2. And, and Richmond is 1-3 against the 4A sectional 9 field. The one win was against Muncie Central, 29-27. Also, Muncie Central is 0-3 against their opponents. The preview, because Pal Item is a Richmond paper. Although Richmond's record against sectional opponents during the regular season doesn't point to postseason success, the Red Devils' first-round matchup is against an Anderson team that took it to OT. The 12-10 Red Devils are a different team than they were compared to the first loss of the season in the hands of Anderson mid-November. But you can also bring that same point up for the Indians, who are 12-9. They won six of the last seven, entering their Tuesday night contest with Warren Central, while Richmond has sputtered as of late, losing four of five before two wins the past weekend. The Red Devils are their conference best, again, North Central Conference, 39.6 points allowed per game. That's pretty stingy in terms of defense. Gives them a great shot to advance. Muncie Central, Richmond beat November 30th, awaits the second round for what could to be a favorable path section. No final appearance for the Red Devils. So, there's promise there in that bracket. Now we move on to Class 2A, Sectional 41, hosted by the Northeastern Knights. Not to be confused with the Northeastern Jets in the Springfield area. This is Indiana still. And 4A is your highest level of class, meaning it's your bigger schools. 1A is your smaller schools. Again, at Northeastern for Class 2A Sectional 41, you have the 15-4 Union County Patriots against the 17-5 Hagerstown Tigers. And then the Centerville Bulldogs 1-8 team will face 19-2 Shenandoah. Also, the semifinals, Northeastern will await the winner of Union County in Hagerstown. The Knights are 18-3 on the season. And Knightstown, who is 3-17, they'll take on Shenandoah and Centerville's winner. And the record against the field in that sectional, Shenandoah, like I mentioned, 19-2. They're 3-0 against their sectional foes. Northeastern is 5-1. The lone loss was to Hagerstown. Hagerstown is 4-1. Their lone loss was to Northeastern. Union County is 1-2. Knightstown 1-5. Centerville 0-5. With Winchester's move to Class 3A, the Golden Falcons have to be a very tough women's basketball squad. When you think girls basketball in Eastern Indiana, your top two teams normally involve Union City, which is far north compared to Union County. They're not in the same area, I promise. And also Winchester, but Winchester moved up a class from 2A to 3A. There'll be a new Sectional 41 champion this year, thanks to Winchester's move. Shenandoah is a virtual lock to appear in the sectional final as the Raiders play a pair of teams they beat by a combined total of 185-34 to in three games. That seems pretty good. The tough half of the sectional bracket, however, includes much more parity. I mentioned the Patriots of Union County 15-4, the Tigers of Hagerstown 17-5. They'll meet for the second time this year after the Tigers won the first matchup December 11th. The winner of that matchup faces 18-3 Northeastern for a date in the sectional semis. And if Hagerstown advances out of the first round, it'll be the Tigers' third matchup of the season with the Knights. 
Northeastern will possibly have to avenge its only conference loss. That's the Tri-Eastern Conference of the season to Hagerstown. And then likely have to defeat Shenandoah, who's 19-2, remember, for what would be an electric final. So yeah, Shenandoah, 19-2. Pretty good team. The rest of it could be pretty fun to watch. And now we move on to Class 1A sectional, 56 in Union City, which will host Blue River at 11-8, taking on Union, 6-12. and 12. And no, this Union is not related to Union City nor Union County. There's so many Unions in eastern Indiana. I know, right? Randolph Southern, the Rebels 5-14, and 14, take on the host Indians, who are 14-7. and 7. The Semis will have the Lincoln Golden Eagles 2-16 against the River. Against the River? Wow, that must be a tough foe. They're battling a whole river. Now, the winner of Blue River and Union, Try 13-7, and 7, will get Randolph Southern, Union City's winner. Against the field, Try is 4-1. The Titans, their lone loss was to Blue River. Blue River themselves are 4-1. They lost to Try, 51-39. Union City is 2-1. Their lone loss was to Try. Randolph Southern, 2-3. Lincoln, 1-4. Union, 0-3. And the sectional 56 has three teams, Tri-Union City, Blue River, with legitimate shots of hoisting a sectional championship trophy. Each top three team has a win against each other, which adds to the parity present in this sectional. It was Blue River sectional a year ago, and the Vikings should have a smooth path to another sectional final, with Lincoln and Union in their way, who combined are 8-28. Tri got the best of Union City on January 3rd, but the host Indians will face the Titans on their home floor, the second time around. And Eastern Indiana will either have a rematch of last year's sectional final between Tri and Blue River, or Union City will appear in its first sectional championship since its 2017 state semifinal appearance. And this is all again written by Scott Proctor at Pal Ida. He took over for Jesus Hernandez, who was a previous guest on this podcast. Only thing is, it does not talk about the Winchester Golden Falcons, the move up to 3A, but that's okay. We'll pull it up quickly here on the IHSAA.org website. Once I figure out which bracket it is, it is Class 3A, like I mentioned. And we scroll down here. There's a Gas City, Indiana, Mississippi. That's the school there. Yours truly knows a little bit about... Eastern Indiana, but once you cross those counties, uh, I've heard of the big schools in Indianapolis, and that's really about it. Here we go. It is Class 3A, Sectional 24, hosted by Yorktown in Yorktown, Indiana. A little trivia for you. You remember those village pantries around Indiana, Eaton, Ohio? I think there might have been a couple more Ohio stops. Once owned by Marsh Supermarkets, now they're both kind of not existing. Yorktown was the birthplace of Village Pantry, so there you go. Take that knowledge home with you. It'll be Winchester Community taking on Newcastle, Trojans and the Golden Falcons there, and the winner will get Jay County to advance to the sectional semis. Underneath the Newcastle-Winchester battle, it'll be Delta and Muncie Burris, and then the host Yorktown will get Hamilton Heights. One of those two games face each other for the second semi, and then your championship game awaits right there. This is from Max Preps. So whoever wins Newcastle-Winchester gets Jay County. Jay County has the lone bye, 
And your Winchester team is 19-3 and 7-0 in conference play. The Golden Falcons, yeah, very strong team. According to the Max Preps website, in Indiana, they're ranked 62nd in the state. National ranking, 2,227. Considering how many high schools are out there, I think that's pretty darn ace. Let's look at that schedule real quick. 19-3 again for Winchester. Northeastern on tap next. I think that's at uh, Falcon City. Falcon City, yes. Winchester. Falcon City. South Bend, Washington. Whitney Young out of Chicago. And Monroe Central are your three losses for the Golden Falcons. It's at home against Northeastern the 29th, so tomorrow, or today, when I get this podcast episode up, and then the fourth against Newcastle. So yeah, another great season for Winchester in Falcon City. I'm sorry, that's... Yeah, Winchester, Indiana. There you go. It's actually named after the village. The Fountain City, Indiana school is Northeastern. That's the Knights. So there you go. Your look at local Indiana girls basketball sectionals. And the boys' sectionals in Indiana, well, you got a little bit more of a wait. According to the notes I pulled up here, IHSAA boys' basketball brackets will be released February 23rd at 3 p.m. I believe that's a Sunday, and I believe they have a very nice show on it. Webstream is at IHSAATV.org. There's no TV. Bob Laurel and Greg Rakestraw will have that for you. It'll be two hours, the Boys Basketball State Tournament Pairing Show, the 110th Annual IHSAA Boys Basketball State Tournament Pairing Show. And after the thing is said and done, it'll be up on the website following the broadcast. Also, it's available on the IHSAA Champions Network, and I think the ESPN affiliate across the way, I think that's 1490. I certainly hope it is. But, uh, yeah, the Richmond station should have it. Let's scroll down here. Yeah, 1490 AM, WKBV. Look at me get something right. Huzzah. Try to see if there's any other locations. Winchester, WZZY, 98.3 FM. Assuming that is that one there. Muncie's got a pair of stations, 1340 AM, 102.9 FM. That's out of the area, sure, but, you know, there's your list of affiliates. Three in Indianapolis. I don't know, I thought that would have been higher, but I think that's the same stations that carry the Pacers games. Which, you know, with the Pacers and the Fever being so heavily influencing on basketball for both boys and girls, and, you know, you play your state finals where the Pacers play, so, you know, there you go. I thought there would have been more Indianapolis stations with it, but, yeah. Richmond's got it. I'm pretty sure they have a web feed for that, or just go IHSAATV.org and listen to it from there. And last up today, before we get to the Seth Kaim and Tony Peters podcast episode, the Ohio Heart Cup has just announced its field. What is that, you ask? Well, nine Ohio teams have joined together to form this Ohio Heart Cup. Nine teams, what are you talking about? This is soccer. The participating teams include Cleveland SC, FC Columbus, and the MPSL, Toledo Villa FC, the Cincinnati Dutch Lions, the Dayton Dutch Lions, Amish Country United, Forest City FC, which I believe that's Cleveland area, Club Toledo, and the Youngstown Nighthawks. 
which if I'm not mistaken, that is an indoor soccer team in Northeastern Ohio. This cup will include club teams and teams from the NPSL, USL League 2, Cincy and Dayton Dutch Lions, and Northern Ohio Soccer League, or the NOSL. The Ohio Heart Cup is a platform for Ohio soccer fans to get competitive soccer closer to home. As Samuel T. Seibert, the director of the Ohio Heart Cup, said in the press release, with all the options out there for teams to compete, these nine Ohio teams want to make sure there is a true Ohio champion every year. Ohio is the heart of it all. We feel the Heart Cup will continue that sentiment. The nine teams will be divided into three groups. The teams will compete in a round-robin format, creating two matches per team with at least one host match in the group stage. The top six point gatherers will move on to the tournament stage, where it's a knockout round format. The tournament stage will allow for the top two point recipients of the group stage to receive a buy in the tournament and guarantee hosting of the second round match. The remaining four teams will be seeded based on points of the group stage, and the final two teams will compete for the Ohio Heart Cup at a mutually agreeable location. The group stage will take place between April the 1st and May 31st, Followed by the first round of the tournament on June 15th, second round June 30th, and the championship match July 11th. The Ohio Heart Cup, you can find more info at ohioheartcup.com, and tickets can be purchased from the respective clubs. So yeah, that news just released a couple hours ago. Again, fresh news on this podcast. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I love this. I think it's great. It's... You know, nine soccer teams in Ohio fighting for a championship. I think that'll be great. Be interesting to see how these teams battle each other. And I really like to see the addition of Dayton and Cincinnati in the mix, of course. And how can you not love a team called Amish Country United? So I'm guessing that's Northeast Ohio. Not entirely sure, though. You can find out more about it if you're interested in corporate opportunities and everything. There's rules on this page, too, and you can contact them down below in the form. So, yeah, looking very much to this Ohio Heart Cup. And yours truly did retweet it uh, a couple hours ago, actually. So, there you go. That's big for local soccer. That's big for Ohio soccer. So, we'll see how the Ohio Heart Cup marches on. We'll talk a little bit about that when we get to that part of the season. But that will cover everything we need to talk about before Seth and Tony join this podcast. So, let's get on with the interview. From the Southwest Ohio Full Court Press Podcast, it's Tony Peterson, Seth Kime once again. Gentlemen, great to see you. And lots of basketball, I presume, has been caught between you two gentlemen. What's been some of your favorite games? Uh, well, I think what our, our first big game that we went to uh, to start off the year uh, was that, that Thurgood-CJ game. Uh, opening weekend, or opening week, um, what we thought was going to be kind of a, a runaway game for Thurgood uh, turned out to be not so much, Tony. <laughs> no, it, uh, at number one, it was a great overtime game, and I know in our podcast, Pre, uh, not preview podcast recap after that game we talked about how great it was to get a good overtime game to start the season off but I mean we really got to see uh, really good basketball between the two teams and ended up being a 86-83 uh, Thurgood loss to CJ CJ got the win there but you know really great to, to start the year off getting to see some quality players uh, in those close games and we also got to see 
uh, another close game also between uh, Centerville and Wayne. Yeah, that was probably the highlight G-Walk matchup thus far. Um, that was shortly after that first game. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we all expected with Mo and Jai coming back and Gabe Cups coming in uh, off the AAU circuit, we expected Centerville to be a fairly dominant team. Um, they've got the size advantage against most every team they play, uh, but Wayne showed that the height doesn't always translate to uh, a dominant win. Wayne was able to use more of their bulk size with some of their football prospects um, to really wear Centerville down over the course and what came down to free throw shooting towards the end of the game. Yeah, and Wayne just, you know, was able to pull away from that one. And, you know, I think also in that Centerville game, we learned, too, everyone talked about Monajai, but his brother Keba, the yeah. sophomore, is actually the one. We've had multiple conversations about how Keba has been quite impressive. He's six foot eight, still got a lot of growing to do, potentially. And he already, his skill set, in my opinion at least, is better than what Mose was at as a sophomore. From just a fundamental standpoint, yeah. his shot's a lot more natural. More range. Um, definitely yeah. more range. Uh, I see spurts where he plays with a little bit more aggression mm-hmm. than Mose brought to the table. But then again, Keba also has two years after this to really refine that. Um, another game that we ran into, another uh, overtime game. Uh, actually also involved Thurgood, that Thurgood at Stiver. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we we went down there wanting to see Stivers more than Thurgood because we had seen Thurgood, um, and we came away with another heck of a game. I mean, you talk about three games really to start the year that were were barn burners the whole way through. There wasn't a dull moment in any of these three games. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was back and forth. Every time you thought Stivers was going to make a run, Thurgood would come back, take back the lead. Then Stivers would be able to cut back into it. It was just a back and forth uh, exchange the entire way, and it showed that you know Stivers is still very, very quality Division three program. And again, even though both of Thurgood's games at the regular season we had seen were losses, Thurgood's still obviously a, a very, very good team between their um, mostly underclassmen that they have. Yeah, with uh, with McComb and Elmore. Another uh, a Southwestern Buckeye League game we caught as well was uh, Oakwood and Franklin. Not an overtime game, but definitely still a great battle between two uh, very good programs. You know, unfortunately, I, I wish we could see um, these guys play more often. But you know, with as many big schools and GWAC teams out there, we try to see some of the the bigger schools kind of early in the season, and this was kind of an exception. Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, I know we were both impressed. Um, obviously, Oakwood with Darren Rubin, but also uh, their freshman, Will Maxwell. Oh, yeah. Uh, he had a heck of a game that night. He's kind of showing that he might be taking over that mantle from Rubin uh, in years to come. Uh, and then Franklin showed that they, too, have some youth uh, up and coming uh, to pair with their experience. I know we went into that and were surprised to find out that their three-point guy, Will Emrick, uh, was out with a stress fracture in his leg. Um, I know Will's gotten, I think he's back now mm-hmm. for them and, and is getting ramped up. Um, very interested. I, I know Franklin came away with a huge win early in the season. Had to really set the tone for uh, the Southwest Buckeye League league play for them. And they've got a matchup coming up here next month, uh, last game of the season for both of those teams that, that could very well, again, decide that their division. Well, we'll and we'll get there I think uh shortly when we get to the divisions. But yeah, I mean that 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 division in the Southwestern Buckeye League is really wide open. You've got three teams and Franklin Oakwood both of them being in that in that running for sure. Mm-hmm. Um another good one uh, we had going to January was Tippecanoe and Sydney at the Miami Valley League. Yes, very much so. 
you know, great. Uh, Sydney at that point was undefeated going to that game. Uh, Correct. Good crowd at Tippecanoe High School, and Tip ended up pulling out a really good win. And that was the first time we got to see their stud senior, Nolan Mater. He had missed uh, most of the, the season up to that point due to an undisclosed injury. And it was also our chance to get the first look at uh, junior Ben Gnosman. Um, uh, Knosman. Uh, sorry. Excuse me on that one. <laughs> But, um, you know, really, really solid player. And he's kind of come um, on storm here in the Miami Valley is arguably the, one of the best, if not the best player in the Miami Valley League. Uh, certainly from an all-around standpoint. Um, he's got a crazy stat line. And we'll get more into individual players. Um, and perhaps probably um, one of the, the craziest games that we saw was that flying to the hoop. Uh, it was the weekend or, or the, the showcase uh, nightcap uh, the home team, Fairmont, taking on Hughes, uh, who's had wild success down in the CMAC. Um, a team that, you know, over the years, a couple couple kids have left uh, Hughes and gone elsewhere, but they seem bound to determine. Um, but Fairmont ended up pulling out a win in that game by just fighting tooth and nail the entire game, getting a lot of stellar play from some young kids, um, and, and really showed up and... and ended up pulling it out yeah Keon Wright Anthony Johnson their sophomores did a great job it was just a real I mean you really hit the nail on the head there it was a really great game really gritty performance for a Fairmont squad that a lot of people were were questioning you know having Fairmont play at C-Max school to to end flying to the hoop if that was going to be a, a good matchup and I'm glad Fairmont was able to not only pull an upset but really keep that game close the entire time and well, never I mean, I ne- certainly I think the most one of the most exciting games of the weekend oh yeah if not the most exciting yeah, uh, I mean, you didn't have the high-flying national teams, uh, you know, that we saw on Friday night. But outside of the national on national game, I think that was the most interesting game of the yeah. weekend. And I think that's I think that's the best basketball to watch at flying to the hoop is when you see those gritty performances between the Ohio teams that are really trying to prove something against one another. And you know, for Fairmont, I would call it an upset for Fairmont. Even, oh, absolutely, even though 100%. they're even though they're Division One and Hughes Division Two, without a doubt, that's an upset. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. It was a little different to see Fairmont close out flying to the hoop because normally they open it up as the first game. And I think that was due to just some scheduling conflicts that they had with the national teams and having to fit all four of them in on Friday night. Yeah, Uh, Because I think three out of the four, I believe, then went out to uh, Springfield, Massachusetts to play in the Hoop Hall Classic. Um, And they were playing Saturday, Sunday, Monday uh, between the different teams. So it was... It was neat to see some, you know, real high flying to kick off uh, that. Event. And I know some teams also went to the Midwest King Classic in Middletown too. Correct, yes. correct. Yep. It was literally. I don't think it was the same day, you know, morning then evening game, but uh, it was. Uh, it it was know, night and morning, yeah. or I mean, mo- a yeah. lot of the teams that played down there had less than a twenty-four hour mm-hmm. turnaround by the time their well, games and, rolled around for flying. To the and I know Hughes played on Sunday, Correct. and then they're playing Fairmont the next day. So I, I will bet you anything that some fatigue did play a role in that game. Not to make excuses or take anything away from Fairmont, but no, certainly I'm sure but, that I mean, helped hurt. And there were a lot of teams that played at Flying to the Hoop that did similar things. Mm-hmm. So we are we're probably past the halfway point <laughs> at this juncture, but we're getting close to the tournament draw, which is February 9th. So, gentlemen, let's talk about the conference leaders thus far. Who's really impressed in each of the conferences for both of you guys? See, I'll, I'll start with the G-Walk, uh, just as it's probably, um, at least here in Dayton for us, uh, is most of the D1 schools. Uh, you've got some, you know, Trotwood in there at D2. Um, but two top teams there currently sitting atop the American Division, Centerville, 
They're at nine and eight on the season, but seven and one in conference. Uh, they they went on uh, an out of town tournament uh, where they lost uh, a couple of games to some national teams uh, or some out of state teams where they struggled a little bit. Uh, their one loss in conference coming to Wayne in that game that we talked about, um, but they've got a rematch coming up on February seventh at Wayne uh, that that is going to be a heck of a game to watch. Uh, and then in the national division, you've got Trotwood. Uh, you know, currently they're the number four team in D2 uh, from, from the AP rankings that came out yesterday. Um, they're at 13-2 and two on the season. They're 7-0 and oh overall. Uh, one of those two losses on the season coming to Akron that St. Mary's out flying to the hoop. Um, but I would certainly say, I mean, regardless of division, I think Trotwood's your top team in the Walk right now. They're certainly in, in control um, as far as their division. But depending on some of those games that Trotwood's got coming down the stretch, uh, if a team can pull off an upset and Centerville can can pull it, run, make a run out, uh, Centerville could take the crown overall. Well, I think I think yeah, definitely between the two teams, Trotwood is most they've got the the, the best chance of winning out and, and guaranteeing a title. I mean, like you said, they're undefeated. G Walk, the closest team to them is Miamisburg at five and three in and, their division and you yeah, in, the in, in division. And you watch Trotwood beat them by twenty seven points uh, and early that in the year. Even close, yeah. So <clears throat> Trotwood, just without a doubt, for, for Centerville, I mean, they I do think they will end up winning this division, but. You know, with Wayne right behind them at five and three, that rematch at Wayne. Wayne's one of the toughest places to play at in, yeah. in the in the area, yeah. and they well, they're going to be. And these two guys, I I also forgot to mention, these guys also square off Friday night. Centerville and Trotwood square off this Friday night, the thirty first, uh, here at Centerville, mm-hmm. um, in in what is probably going to come down to deciding who takes the the GWAC crown for all. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be a great game. Who do you, who who would you take in that one? Um. I, I think you still have to take Trotwood in that game. I think they play a lot. They play a similar game to Wayne, uh, where they don't necessarily have the height across the floor, but they've got the athleticism that's going to wear Centerville down in the exact style that Wayne did them. Speed Centerville up, pressure them on defense. I, I think that's what's taking that. Interesting. Interesting. I would take Centerville in that one. All right. <laughs> I I think that I think Centerville defensively is is one of the best groups in the area, and I think that they uh, strive on that defense. And yeah, Trotwood may speed them up, and with them having a young backcourt, Centerville having a young backcourt, that could hurt. But when you got the length and the size that Centerville has, that's one thing Trotwood doesn't have this year is size, and that's I think that will play a role. And certainly could in a game in January, I could see Centerville winning that one. Yeah. Uh, let's see, moving down a little farther south, uh, we mentioned the Southwest Buckeye League a little bit. Um, we talked about, uh, in, in that Southwest division, uh, the Franklin Oakwood scenario, uh, you've got Franklin sitting at 13 and three on the season, six and two in conference Oakwood's right on their heels in, in that division at six and three in the conference. Uh, again, their rematch on Valentine's day on the 14th. Uh, February 14th is going to be a, a big matchup. Uh, and then coming out of the Buckeye League, you've got Middletown-Madison. Uh, they're sitting at 14-2 and two on the season uh, and 7-2 and two in conference. Yeah, and, and with the Southwest uh, Division, I want to throw in one more team, Monroe, uh, mm, just yes. because Monroe is 6-3 and three in the conference, so that puts them in a tie with Oakwood. 
And when you look at these three teams, I mean, it's pretty impressive. Franklin has, without a doubt, all the head-to-head. They've beaten Monroe twice. They're done with Monroe for the season. Obviously, they already beat Oakwood once. With Oakwood, they've gotten beaten by Monroe, which Mm -hmm. was interesting. I thought Oakwood's the better team, and they have a a senior, which we'll talk about a little later, Darren Rubin, that is a difference maker in in this league. Of course. Um, But that's going to, I mean, that division really could come down. I know last year it came down to the last games between, it was a four-way tie, throw Brooks determined. So I'm sure this season you're going to have those three yet again coming down to the last game of the season. Uh, in that Buckeye division, you know, like you said, Madison, without a doubt, the the top team. But, you know, right behind them, you got Waynesville and yeah. you got Preble Shawnee. And I think yeah. Preble Shawnee has been one of the one of those teams that a lot of people overlooked. I know I overlooked them, but they're starting to play some good basketball. And, you know, this 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 is the best time to start playing your best uh, team Absolutely. play. And they are definitely showing it right now. Absolutely. Oh, where do you want to go next, Tony? You want to go GCL? Let's go GCL. Uh, we'll we'll split it up because it's because the, the league is split up. We'll start with the co-ed. Um, I don't have overall records. I just have my conference records in front of me. So Seth, you can. Uh, you've got Alter at thirteen and two, eight and one in conference. Uh, that only law. Lo- there are two losses. Uh, the conference loss coming to McNick to start the season on a buzzer beater. Mm-hmm. Uh, what many would would say would be an upset. Um, and then Alter lost to Lutheran East at Flying to the Hoop. Those are their two losses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then right behind him and on their heels is Baden. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alter did beat him early in the year. They also have a rematch coming up February 14th. Mm-hmm. Uh, Baden sitting at 13-3, and 7-2 and two in conference. Yep, and that could be a, a huge uh, game changer if Baden's able to win that one. Obviously, I'll just mention the third team in there, McNicholas. They're 6-3, yep. and three, but obviously McNicholas did beat Alter once. Alter Correct. did beat them last week, so they're mm-hmm. done with McNick for the season at least. Um, really in this one, Alter has been the best team in this league, I think, all year. Without a doubt. Baden has been very solid, and McNick has had their moments, but I think at the end of the day, uh, Alter's got the best scorer in the league, leading scorer in Brady Yule. They've got one of the best defensive players in Connor Stolle, who is uh, second in blocks, fifth in rebounds. Alter gets it done on both ends of the floor, and in this league, that's what gets it done. Um, So Alter definitely running the table there. Going into the GCL South, that's going to be the four uh, Cincinnati teams. Uh, really, there's it's Moeller against the world. I think in this one, um, undefe- uh, certainly un- undefeated in the conf or in the league. Excuse me, they've got one loss on the season, and that was to St. Vincent St. Mary. Mary. So they're at 15 and one overall. Yep. yep. LaSalle is, I believe, 16 and one. 16 and one. With correct. their only loss being a two point loss against Moeller a week ago. They also have a rematch coming up on Friday night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's going to be huge. Uh, and then St. X and Elder uh, pulling in the rear. St. X has got a winning record right now. They're one and two in the South, but I believe they're eleven and four. Can you confirm that, Seth? Uh, yeah, eleven and 11 four, four overall. And right. I know Elder's a game below five hundred. So that league altogether, very very solid. But at the end of the day, Moeller's just—it's Moeller. It's well, hard yeah, to beat and them. I mean, when you're the number one team in Division One in the state, um, and LaSalle certainly's got a chance to to make some noise here on Friday night. Uh, they're not far behind. They're sitting at number five in the state, mm-hmm. at least as far as the latest AP rankings that came out yesterday. Yeah. Um, and I'll be honest with you, if if Moeller wins this game on Friday and these two end up squaring up in the tournament, I would not at all be surprised if LaSalle were to pull an upset. Yeah, at least one out of the three games. In the tournament. I mean, trying to beat a team three times over the course of a season is not... It's hard to do. Um, 
especially with two very good uh, coaches uh, squaring off time and time again. Yes. Um, let's go back to Dayton here for a minute. Um, the Dayton City League. We've got it's really Thurgood Marshall. They're eleven and six on the season, five and one in the league. Uh, their only league loss coming to the the second place team right now, Stivers, who's four and two. They're eight and five overall. Really, it's it's these two teams have been the best teams in the league all season. I know uh, we thought Belmont would be a little tougher this year. They've really struggled. Um, yeah, I, th- I think they're sitting at five and nine overall. Yeah, and they're winless in the city league. Correct. I mean, they've got one of the best players in the league, but they just don't have that that team composure. They're able to take out some of these uh, guys like Thurgood and Stivers, who are a little more put together. Um, Ponitz is in the running there, but they're, I mean, they just don't match up talent-wise, I think, where no, Stivers and Thurgood. There's just a little bit of a gap there. Yeah. Um, and then let's move again just to round out some of the, the – Home teams here to Dayton, we've got then the Miami Valley League. Um, really comes down to two teams up there. Uh, in the Miami division, you've got Tip, uh, Tip a Canoe. They're sitting at 10-6 and six on the season, 9-3 and three, uh, in their division, um, or in league play, excuse me. Uh, and then in the Valley division, uh, we talked about Sydney a little bit already. They're 14-1 and one on the season, 11-1 and one in conference. Again, that one loss coming at Tip. Um, certainly I, I think Sydney's in control of, of the MVL. The league as a whole is just kind of down. Uh, you certainly want to throw Troy in there. I think I'd like uh, as a team Troy, to, yeah. to consider certainly who's going to give tip uh, a run for their money down the stretch here. Yeah. And honestly, the league is down, but I do think Sid- Sydney is without a doubt. They are the higher echelon and then tips right there as well. But this league altogether, but really three through, I'd say nine, it's really close. I mean, you look at some of these scores for these MVL games, you've got two, three, four point final scores. I mean, they're not blowouts by any means. And, you know, we mentioned Troy, but other teams like West Carrollton, Stevens and Butler, they found ways to, you know, keep some games close. I know Butler upset tip. On a buzzer beater, the you know the very next game after Tip pulled off that win against mm-hmm. uh, Sydney, and yep, I mean, and West Carrollton has had such a great turnaround, and they've been finding ways to compete. So this league altogether, it's very very uh, close in these matchups. But I think at the end of the day, your your prediction of Sydney and Tip being the best two is definitely a, an accurate statement. Yeah, certainly. Um, and then moving kind of out. From Dayton a little bit, uh, still staying in that in that Dayton Cincinnati area here, uh, going a little farther south. Uh, probably one of uh, the one of the conferences that I've watched with uh, a lot of keen interest, uh, the Ohio Heritage Conference. Yes, um, out there you've got uh, in the in the North Division, West Liberty Salem. Uh, they're currently sitting ten and four on the season, eight and three in conference. Uh, and then the strength of the division in the South, uh, you've got Cedarville twelve and three, nine and two in conference. Greenview thirteen and four on the season, also nine and two in conference. Um, they've got a rematch coming up on February seventh. Mm-hmm. I know that's a game we're looking to get out to 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 go see. Uh, certainly is going to probably decide the South at this point. Uh, at this point. Uh, depending on who else can jump up uh, and might be able to steal a game away from those guys, mm-hmm. um, but definitely Greenin's right there, eight and three, right behind both those Correct. guys. But Greenin's gotten blown out by both Cedarville and Greenview so far, so I don't see that being a much of an issue. 
uh, for that North Division between West Liberty, Salem. You know, Fairbanks is a game back on them, and then you got West Jefferson, a Central Ohio-based team, uh, two games back. I don't think either one of those teams are really going to be able to, to face the Tigers. I think West Liberty Salem's really got that one in the bag. But got to say, between uh, Cedarville and Greenview, again, definitely the power of that league. And I love seeing the, these scores for Cedarville. You know, for years they've struggled. And I know last year when I did an interview with you, Lee, you had asked me a team that could surprise. And I said Cedarville, and they only had, I think, four wins two years ago. Now mm-hmm. look at them there. They were considered one of the top 10 teams in state earlier in the season yeah and and when we get to more uh kind of player recap here in a little bit i'm certain we'll 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 be bringing uh cedarville back up uh almost for sure yeah um i'm gonna jump to one here staying up north the central buckeye conference this is a conference that really it's hard for seth and i to get up to just because these are schools springfield and beyond up north and sometimes it's just hard to find time to get up there on weekends and especially during the week uh, that is split into two divisions. The Kenton Trail Division, you've got Central Ohio-based Jonathan Alder, undefeated, sitting at the top. Excuse me, undefeated in the conference at the top. Uh, then you got Kenton Ridge, the local team, at 5-2. and two. They're tied with London, another Central team, at 5-2 and two in the conference. Kenton Ridge, we were talking before we went on air here, Kenton Ridge is really one of the, the top teams right now in the, in the month of January. They're on a Eight game winning eight game streak. Winning streak, yep. And they've just they've looked great. They've got a a senior named Tyler Eberhart, which we'll talk about later. That's Correct. been phenomenal. Then you go in that Mad River division. You've got a a state ranked North Union team that's undefeated. Uh, they are very very good. They are scoring over sixty points a game. Um, and they they've got the I guess you can call local team Indian Lake six and one. Their only loss at this point was to North Union. They've mm-hmm. got a rematch coming up this week. Um, as you're as you're getting uh, the theme yeah, here, these, all these all these re, all these rematches are the themes here for league titles. But Indian Lakes one game back, so if they can beat North Union, that would be a, well. And they're taking on Kenton Ridge tonight as we speak. Yeah. Uh, or in here in a little bit, they'll be tipping off. Uh, so they've got at Kenton Ridge and then at North Union this week. Yeah. Uh, so certainly two big games for them. Yeah, and another another conference here, the Metro Buckeye Conference. Uh, again, mostly Division three and four schools. We haven't seen a lot of these teams yet, but the goal is obviously in January and end of February here to to get out and see some of these guys. It's a two team battle right now. You got Troy Christian eight and one in the the conference in the lead, a whole game ahead of Emmanuel Christian, who's seven and one. Yeah. Those two are really the top two teams. Troy Christian every year seems to always find a way to be the good. Um, they never really seem to have a drop in talent, and Emmanuel Christian finally starting to get themselves. Uh, into a groove after a couple years of sitting in the the bottom of the conference as well. Yeah, and then um, still kind of, I think we'll we'll circle back down to Cincinnati here in a minute. Uh, Still considered Southwest region, uh, whether or not they're considered South or more West. You've got some of the more Northern schools. Uh, You've got uh, the Cross County Conference. You've got National Trail up there. Uh, They're 14-2 on the season, uh, 8-0 in play. Uh, they're pretty much on their own in that league right now for the most part. That trail team, one of their two losses was to Middletown Mass in the Midwest Correct. King Classic. Correct. As someone from West Alexandria, I always <laughs> want to see Preble County teams uh, succeed in the CCC. And I always say, if Twin Valley South can't win it, 
Let Norfolk Trail do it, please. <laughs> <laughs> please. Well, and, yeah. if, and if I can piggyback off that, Lee, there are other losses against Versailles, who is the number one Division three team in the state. Correct. And it took overtime for uh, Versailles to win that one. So, yes, it did. very, very, very good national trail team. Um, yeah, I think you guys wrapped that one up. <laughs> uh, we've also got up north uh, Shelby County Athletic League. Uh, Jackson Center up there is is in control of that. They're sitting at thirteen and two on the season, seven and one in conference play. Uh, Anna right behind them at ten and three, six and one in conference. Uh, I know an Anna team that we saw take on Ottosville at Flying to the Hoop uh, in what I would call an upset by Ottoville. Uh, it was a four point win by Ottoville, but they pretty much controlled that game from start to finish. Yeah, it was only really at the end. Um, you know, in that foul game that, that Anna kind of pulled it back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly two teams that can make noise come state time, uh, for sure. This league is kind of an interesting one because Jackson Center is in the lead, but Jackson Center's only league loss was to Anna Correct. by 21 points, which was, we talked about, shocking to us. Because that, I mean, Jackson Center's one of them is been known for their defensive prowess. They, they get in these low-scoring games. Wouldn't be surprised to see them giving up less than 40 points in a game. So to see them get beat like that to Anna is a little bit of a surprise. Um, Anna's loss, though, I believe it was to Fort Loramie. I believe so. I think it was Fort Loramie. And so, you know, this league, the the top two teams have found ways to lose to um, when they're not used to it. So we'll see kind of what happens. Um, I know Anna and Jackson Center are playing each other on Friday in a rematch. Uh, For Anna, if they can win this one, that would probably give them control of the the, the Shelby County League. It would, correct. I I also know Jackson Center, with it being a home game for them, they're not going to let Anna beat them twice in a row. Well, and you've also got Fort Loramie right behind them as well, um, sitting at 6-2 and in the league. Um, As they look to try to maybe, you know, tonight, Jackson Center's taken on Fort Loramie. Mm-hmm. That game, um, Jackson Center, um, you know, being at Fort Loramie, that could be an extremely tough game. Uh, it's not going to be, certainly not going to be an easy game for sure. Yeah. Um, so that, I mean, Jackson Center is in control, but we've got some games coming up here over the next uh, couple of days being tonight and Friday that, that could really come down to decide yep. uh, the Shelby County Athletic. You got that one. Um, um, slide over to then the Midwest Athletic Conference. Yeah, this one, another really interesting one. Uh, Versailles, they're undefeated, number one Division three team in the state in the AP poll. 6-0 and in the conference. They're in control. 17-0 and overall. Seven, excuse me, sorry, 17-0 and overall. Uh, and then you've got four teams sitting right behind them all at 3-2. and two. you got Minster, uh, Delphi St. John's, Parkway, St. Henry, of those four, three of them have double-digit wins on the year, Minster, St. John's, and Parkway. Really, it's I think it's a battle for those guys for second. For, yeah, I mean, when you're looking at you're looking at a team that's that's dominated for the entirety of the season, I, I know uh, they play a very tough defensive game. Uh, they've got a leader in Michael Stammen who just drives them to win those games. Um, so certainly uh, in control of that one. Um, and then, so then we'll take the opposite approach, going all the way up north, and we'll start to head down south. Uh, one of the more interesting uh, turn of events over the season a little bit uh, comes out of the CMAC, uh, where currently Hughes is sitting in control of the CMAC. Uh, they're 
10 and 5 on the season, but they're 6 and 0 in conference. Uh, the team that's behind them, at least in the standings, being Taft, um, probably the biggest head scratcher uh, for most everyone. I know uh, when we first uh, talked with you, Lee, um, they pretty much on paper were the best Division Three team in the in the state. Uh, the next day, Mark Wise decides to go back to Deer Park. Um, not a hundred percent sure on what went on there. Uh, but then Taft certainly, I know our only question mark, at least to start, was whether they were going to gel or not. And that seemed to be their biggest downfall starting the season, uh, with Hughes now taking both of their matchups against Taft. I, I know Hughes dropped that game to Fairmont, but I don't see anybody else winning, Mac. I mean, it, it's just not going to happen. at this. I mean, I like what I've seen out of Woodward, who's sitting in that three spot. But again, it's the same issue we talked about with Taft. They bring in Paul McMillan and among a few other transfers, and the gelling, I think, was a little bit better with Woodward, but the talent-wise, it's not even close to well, the comparison. Well, and you watched Taft just dismantle Woodward. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, flying to the hoop. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was a bit of a statement win for Taft, who, hey, you know, with, with losing to Hughes, a lot of people wrote them, wrote them in, you know, as number one Division three team in the area. I mean, we certainly did, at least at the start of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still, I still think they're one of the top two teams in Cincinnati. If we look at the Cincinnati teams in D three, absolutely, yeah. But absolutely. in terms of the con- when you're looking at the conference as a whole, I mean, this you really hit the nail in the head there. Hughes is the, is the team, and then and that's in the red division, the blue division. It's a gamble, Montessori. Yeah, they're undefeated in the conference. You've got Euler sitting at number two. We've seen Gamble play. Um, not a. Not that Not overly impressive, no. but get the job done. Yeah, absolutely. And the the game we saw them play against CJ, you know, that's a good defensive team. You're not going to get a chance to see a lot of no, uh, you're not. great plays. So I still think Gamble's a solid team, but yeah, uh, the storyline definitely being Hughes in this uh, conference. Uh, and then the one other league that I really wanted to call out down south here being uh, Cincinnati Hills League. Uh, have two really, really impressive teams down there. Uh, you've got the undefeated team in Wyoming. Uh, sitting at 15 and 0 on the season, 9 and 0 in conference. Uh, they're the number six team in Division Two. Uh, they're on a on a roll, but right on their heels being Deer Park. Uh, Deer Park's 14 and 1 on the season, 8 and 1 in conference. That loss coming to Wyoming. Um, they're number four in the state in Division Three, but you know they may have some issues as, as I think. Uh, we were we're taking a look at things earlier uh, where Wise's decision, Mark Wise's decision to go back to Deer Park uh, could certainly impact them down the stretch. And, lo- and let me clarify first by saying we don't know 100% no, we don't. what happened there. That being said, where Seth is coming from is on the webs- on their website where they keep the stat. Mark Wise has no stats the last four games. And he had at least stats or or played in the first 11 mm-hmm. being a 22 game season where we're, we were taking the assumption that that's that half game transfer or half season transfer rule kicking in um, how that impacts deer park down the stretch. I'm not sure. Um, you know, they've got some other guys that we'll get to in a minute uh, that certainly are able to drive them. Um, but if deer park and Taft were to match up with each other, uh, D3 in the tournament could be one heck of a match and certainly has some additional implications. 
And to add on to just Wyoming's success this year, I, I watched their boys' soccer team play in the playoffs, and they fell in PKs to the eventual state title winners in uh, Tippecanoe. What a year Wyoming athletics are having. Football, I mean, they almost went back to the state title game. Boys' mm-hmm. soccer, mm-hmm. they were, what was it, two matches away from a state title? Girls' right. soccer was all right. Volleyball, just look at Wyoming go on Route 4. <laughs> no kidding. And they've got one of the, I mean, kid that's leading their team in, uh, in uh, Isaiah Walker. Um, you know, they're just firing on all cylinders right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, Prater coming in with football being over um, certainly going to be a very intriguing team to watch. I, I'm interested to see how they end up matching up against some of the other D teams come tournament time. Um, I'm not sure how battle tested they are, um, at least at a division two level, but we'll certainly see something. And then the last conference that I think we want to touch on is the greater Miami conference. Uh, and mm-hmm. this one, Lakota East, as no surprise is the sitting atop nine and one in, in the conference right behind them. A little bit of a surprise with Oak Hills at eight and two. And then you got Princeton coming in in the rear there at seven and three. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely would have seen that going a little differently. I know I thought Princeton was the top team in this league before the season started. Um, they struggled a little bit during the beginning of the season Credit also, they lost their coach, Steve Wright, right before the season started as he took a job at Cleveland State, uh, the basketball team. So I'm sure that kind of played a role in it. But this Lakota East team, Clint Adkins squad, they they pride themselves on defense, and they do such a great job of it. It makes them such a dangerous unit as a uh, whole. I got to see them play Taft being the season at the Ohio Valley Hoops Classic down at Mason High School. They were It was a good game, but Lakota East definitely was the better team. Uh, they got a junior in Nate Johnson that is an absolute stud. He's already got low major Division One schools looking at him. Mm-hmm. He can jump out of the gym, and he's only about 6'2", 6'3". I, I think Lakota East on paper is, when you look at what they've done so far, they're definitely the favorite to, to finish out the conference this year as the champions. Yeah, certainly, and in probably the, the third best Southwest Division One team in the area. I mean, they're ranked 13th. Uh, in the a- latest AP poll that came out, so they can get it done. I think you also then mentioned uh, Oak Hill. Uh, they're number four in Division Three. Um, Oak so. Hill, no, Oak oh, Hills. My, my my apologies. There. There's multiple Oak <laughs> Hills. Oak Hills. Yeah, Oak, Oak Hills Hill is in oh, southeast man. Ohio. Oak Hills. That that plural is what kills you. Hills. Yep. That that got multiple me there. hills. So I think that, I mean that pretty much then wraps up conference at least recap. Um, and where we've come to at this point and what we've got looking forward to uh, coming down the stretch. Now, we talked about conference leaders, but uh, what makes teams special, of course, are their players. So let's talk about some of the top players in Southwest Ohio. I see a big list on <laughs> Seth's notebook, and I see a big list on Tony's paper. So, gentlemen, lead it off. Um. I'll start with with two kids uh, that have been really, really impressive. Uh, You know, we we talked about them coming out of uh, the Ohio Heritage Conference in Cedarville. Uh, They've got two kids in Colby Cross and Trent uh, Koning, uh, who are 1-2 in leading the Ohio Heritage Conference. Uh, Colby's at averaging right around 18 points a game. Trent's right on his heels at 16 points a game. Uh, those two guys really making that Cedarville team run right now. Um, but both have been extremely impressive. Uh, Colby being that senior, uh, of the two, 
uh, Trent being the junior. So Trent's got another step to take again next year. Um, really like what I've seen out of those two guys this year. Um, I know, and we certainly uh, are looking forward to getting out to see them play uh, the rest of the year. Guards are what wins you games, I really do believe, high between level, defense yes. defense, and then your your backcourt's big. And, I mean, when you've got two guards that are that talented on, that the, can, same team. on the same team that can do that type of damage, I mean, it's that's that's a huge reason why Cedarville's having that success. And I'm so glad to see them having the success. I know Colby Cross, I've been following him since he was a freshman. And to see that Cedarville team struggle and slump through his, his first couple years and to see them now as a senior, I mean, they they legitimately, with them being in Division Four, I could see them playing at UD Arena in a district title. And, and Colby is a big, big reason for that. You know, more of the scorer of the two, but Trent, I mean, Trent can score the basketball too, but Trent much more of a distributor at times. So uh, definitely, definitely two quality guards there. Um, I've got on my list here, I don't have my stats in front of him, Darren Rubin from Oakwood. We kind of mentioned him a little bit when we were talking about the Southwestern Buckeye League. Yep. He's sitting at, at, at 20 and a half points per game for Oakwood. Yeah. I mean, the kid can, can let it fly from behind the arc. It's it's unbelievable watching his range. I know we were at the pit when they played Franklin, and, I mean, he was taking one step across half court pulling up, and these shots were not far off from going in. I mean, they, no, were, they were in that rim, and they're just bouncing out. So really good guard, but he's not just a scorer. He's shown how he can distribute the basketball. I think he accepted more of a role this year that defenses were going to really focus on him. So as a result, he had to be able to, to get the ball to his teammates. And having a freshman like Will Maxwell that can, Another standout player that can, on, on, on that can score the way he does, it definitely uh, has to help for sure. Yeah, uh, and, and Darren sitting at second. Uh, in the in the swivel in terms of scoring at least uh, we talked about another team down there uh, in Middletown Madison uh, they're being led by Grant Weissman uh, who's averaging 26 points a game uh, that Middletown Madison team really clicking uh, Grant Weissman a, a big part of that didn't he already break a school record this year for Madison was it single season scoring or was it career points for the Mohawks. I'm not 100% sure on that one. There have been there have been a lot of records broken this year <laughs> yeah. that are flying off the radar. <laughs> a thousand point scores this year too. It's oh, like oh my gosh, like yeah. 20. Yeah, a lot. Both, both sides of the ball, yeah. girls and boys. Mm-hmm. But no. uh, and then you you mentioned guard play then. Uh another team that that we talked about at the beginning or towards the top in Trout Trotwood, yeah. Um, they've got a two-headed monster in Sammy Anderson and Carl Blanton, both seniors. Uh, they're combined. They're the top two scorers in the G-Walk. 29 points per game from Carl, 20, 21 from Sammy. Mm-hmm. So combining for nearly 50 by themselves. Um, Sammy, and what's crazy is basketball's not even Sammy's best sport. No, he's a Division One football athlete. He's going to go to UC as a cornerback. Um, this, I mean... Sam, he uses that that skill set as a DB uh, on the on the basketball court as well. Oh, extremely. A ball well. hawk, especially on the defensive end. Um, Body control. Mm-hmm. Uh, just aggressiveness and as a whole. Uh, not afraid to go up against anyone, especially guys that maybe you know bigger than him height wise or build wise. But he uses that athleticism to his advantage. Absolutely. And speed. Yep. And then you've also got like say Carl Blanton and and Carl Blanton. I. I think personally is one of the the best dunkers and one of the most athletic players 
in the Dayton area. Um, for sure. He's got such uh, such athleticism, and again, he's a football kid as well. Uh, he's able to score really wherever he wants at will. Uh, when we watched Trotwood for a half against Dunbar, I mean, he's jumping over guys for rebounds, physically imposing his he will. He dropped 45 in that game by yeah. the time it was all said and done, and I think he's posted 40-plus three times this mm-hmm. year, mm-hmm. Um, the, the kid can flat-out score. Yeah, if and, and he's got a younger brother that's a sophomore right now that has the same athleticism as Carl does. Not not there 100% with the skill yet, but definitely working his way up there. No, certainly, and, and very impressive. And, I mean, when you're scoring 94, 95 points a game and you're getting over half of it from two guys, they're doing something right. <laughs> yeah. I really hope that the local colleges are looking at these kids. I mean, it'd be great to see the local talent stay local. You know? Well, and, and Sammy, I mean, we talked about him being a D1 prospect. He is going to Cincinnati uh, as a cornerback, so he is staying a little bit local. Carl, um, I haven't heard a whole lot uh, in terms of his recruitment. I haven't either, I'm, and I'm really I'm not sure so, why I'm to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, he's... I know he's a really good football player too, so I don't know if maybe his football recruitment has kind of become the more priority thing. to him. But I mean, he played. I know in AAU he was two years ago. He was playing for All Ohio Red, which I mean is one of the best programs in, in the state for AAU basketball. And if you play there, it's a good chance you're a D one prospect. But mm-hmm. uh, I want to go back for a second though. We talk about the local talent staying local. Two of the players we've already mentioned, Colby Cross and Grant Wisman, both signed to play at Cedarville University. So okay. Cedarville High School sticking with the program. Yeah, <laughs> so they're both going to help a lot. That, that Cedarville team, one of the better D2 teams um, in really in the country at times. So uh, mm-hmm. we got to see them play Ohio State, and they played UD during the regular season this year. I cannot remember which one of them it was. I felt like one of them, Cedarville, gave them a pretty good game. I mm-hmm. felt like maybe it was Dayton. I don't know. I, I haven't followed the college scene as, as closely as Not I have as in the past. Now. A uh, couple other kids worth mentioning, at least uh, overall. Uh, A.J. Braun is having a heck of a year for Fenwick as a team, a down year. Uh, he, he's averaging about 19 a game. Uh, he's a kid who's getting D1 looks regularly. Um, he's second in the GCL to only Brady Yule from Alter. Uh, Brady's around 19 and a half a game. Um, Alter certainly has... Uh, a much more robust roster from top to bottom. Uh, certainly some kids who, who who can play. I know you mentioned earlier Brady as well as Connor Stolle. Uh Connor certainly bringing the defensive aspect to it uh, with a big man ability to step out uh, and stretch the floor. Um, really good talent there. Um, some of the other ones, uh, some un- other underclassmen uh, that I think we also need to mention. Um, probably one of the guy who surprised me the most, uh, Anthony Coppett from Miamisburg. Uh, I watched that game that they played against Trotwood. Uh, granted, the game was, you know, it was a 30-point game uh, at, at times. Uh, Anthony actually got hurt in that game. I uh, took a header off the floor as he was fighting for a rebound uh, from Blanton. Uh but the kid works harder than most kids that I see, at least uh, as a sophomore, you know, from the sophomore class. Uh, you know, Anthony in that game, he only played three quarters, uh, but he had a double-double. He had 20 points, 10 rebounds in that game, um, and is certainly leading a Miamisburg group 
they've got a couple seniors with Alex Ball and Connor Murphy uh, who are helping to keep those wheels rolling. Uh, but Kopic will be a key for them going forward over the next couple of years, uh, as well as a, a freshman that they've got who brings some size uh, in Jackson, uh, McGohan. Uh, so big star there for me. Well, speaking of a freshman, I'll go ahead and give my underclassman impressive player, and it's going to be Laurent Rice from Wayne. Uh, beginning of the so. beginning of the season, I think really it was a big great debate among people between Gabe Cups and Laurent Rice. Who's the better freshman, incoming freshman into the Dayton area? You can think what you want. I think Rice as has been my top performer, um, mainly because I think he's adjusted to the varsity game extremely well for a freshman. Um, you know, he's his, his stat line isn't overly impressive: nine points, six rebounds, four assists a game. But to me, what that tells me is he's able to do stuff on the court. He's not just out there scoring the basketball, and that's all he does. You know, a lot of these star freshmen, they go out there and talk about, oh, they're, they're, they're so good. They score 15 points a game, but they don't rebound the ball very well. They don't share the ball very well. Not a great defensive you know, player. Rice does all, all of what I just named. Mm-hmm. And one of the most impressive things about him to me is just his demeanor on the floor. He looks so relaxed when he's out there. Correct. And we had watched him at Flying to the Hoop play Grayson out of Georgia, who's a nationally ranked team at the time. Number two, six in the nation. Two guards. One's going to Mississippi State, the other to South Florida. And Laurent Rice looked perfectly content with them guarding him. Yeah, he did. <clears throat> uh, and I know you mentioned Gabe as well. Uh, Gabe certainly came in with kind of the media attention on him with playing with blue chips uh, and with, and with Bronny. Um, but you can see where maybe he thrived a little bit on the attention that the other teammates were getting uh, in those games. You know, when, when Centerville takes the court, it's really Gabe and Moe. Uh, that's, where all the, that's where the defense focuses all of their attention. Uh, you know, they will sometimes take mismatches on, you know, your two and three guard, you know, your two and threes um, to put a better defensive guy on Gabe to just to shut him down. Um, you know, Gabe again, he's, he's at 10 points a game. Um, he has some, some growth, I think, as you mentioned, to adjust to the varsity game. I certainly think as a freshman, you know, second on his team in scoring, uh, very close to Mo in scoring. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, but with the amount of weight that he has on his shoulders, I think Gabe has the ability and the mindset to take those steps over the next couple of years. But that, that Rice Cups matchup, over the next three years, that's gonna be fun. Is gonna be awesome. I mean, we were heck when we watched those guys play each other the, the early in the year. You had overtime, you had slam. There to watch that game and video it. So I mean, those two are gonna be two of the best players in the state of Ohio in the next two years. So it's gonna be really fun. Speaking of pl- uh, good players in the state of Ohio, staying with the underclassmen theme, uh, I want to talk about Sean Phillips from Belmont yeah. for a minute. Um, I mentioned when we first talked being in the season how I thought he would be a player to watch. Uh, solely because of his recruitment, how it blew up over the summer. Uh, playing AAU, I mean, he went from being uh, a scrawny little 6'8 kid at Belmont to still at Belmont, one of the best players there. But now he's got offers from the likes of Auburn, Ohio State, Dayton. I think West Virginia is in there. He picked up a UC offer. I mean, and he's and there are some scouting outlets that have him as a top 100 player. The kid is built like a Division One player. Let me start Very off by saying so. this. I mean, we saw him against West Carrollton, but he's 6'10". I don't even want to guess how much his weight is because I always do terrible at judging that. But he he had a lot he had a lot of bulk to him, and and he is just such a strong strong player. 
offensively at the rim. You put the ball at the rim, he's going to finish it, whether he's dunking it or just tipping it back in. My biggest concern with him, obviously, will be, uh, number one, how he will play with other really great guards around him, like if he gets a Division One level. Not to take anything away from Belmont, but he doesn't have any guards on that team that are, um, you know, sharing the basketball the way they should. Um, but also, he gets in foul trouble way, way too frequently. At least at this point. And at 6'10", you know, I understand blocking all these shots, but there's no reason for you to be getting in foul trouble. At least every game I've seen him play the last two years, he's always been in foul trouble. Yeah. Sticking with sophomores, again, another kid we mentioned, Paul McMillan from Woodward. Mm -hmm. Uh, The kid's averaging almost 32 points a game. Uh, Again, a kid that that left left a Hughes program that is now top of their, you know, top of their game. Um, But some extenuating circumstances there, you know, his dad being a coach at Woodward. Um, We got to see him play uh, at Fly Into the Hoop against Taft. I'm sorry. They played Walnut Ridge. I'm sorry, Walnut Ridge. Yeah, you're right. With with Von Cameron Davis. Um, didn't have his best game that night. Uh, he really picked up the play in the fourth quarter um, as, as, as Walnut Ridge kind of backed off a little bit. Um, but you saw his ability to get to the rim, finish at the rim. You know, I think he had close to 15 points just in the fourth quarter. He accelerated from 10 to 25 very, very quickly. Um, and then one other sophomore I want to throw out there, um, Jacob Connor from Alter. Yes. Um, kid who is built along the mold of uh, his older teammate, Connor Stolle. Uh, taller, lankier, um, but the kid has one of the purest shooting strokes in, in the area. Um, he, right now, at least in the games that we've seen him play, uh, he's taken over bringing the ball up the floor from Brady Ewell. Brady's been playing more off the ball. Uh, so Connor, Jacob Connor has been um, handling the ball. He's taking those shots. He also makes an impact on the defensive end. Still very skin and bones sort of fresh or sophomore right now. So I want to see him add some bulk, add a little bit more of a post game um, to see his game evolve over the next couple of years. But you talk about, you know, a, a kid who's a stretch four. Uh, that can really get out there and shoot the heck out of the ball. Uh, he'll he'll be a name to watch as well. Yeah, he's going to have to do all that what you just said, especially with Alter losing all their talent in the senior class. He's going to have to really do a lot there. Um, another a sophomore I want to throw out. I we haven't seen him play yet, but just looking at the stat line, I think he deserves some credit. DeAndre Cohen from Yellow Springs, six four mm. guard, at putting up nineteen points a game, seven rebounds. From what I've heard about him. Very solid athlete. Again, haven't got a chance to see him yet. I know I'd like to see him uh, playing for a Yellow Springs team that not the greatest this year. And, mm-hmm. and frankly, Yellow Springs basketball isn't necessarily the strongest in the area either. But, you know, he's definitely a kid that's, that's put his name out there. He's top five in almost every offensive category and even defensive category for the Metro Buckeye Conference. Um, it'll be interesting to see as he gets older, um, and depending on who else Yellow Springs has, if that can mold into making Yellow Springs, you know, maybe two years from now we are talking, and we're talking about Yellow Springs being one of the best teams. So time will tell with that one. Um, another kid I want to throw out, we kind of mentioned him earlier. Um, Seth, you're going to have to help me with the name again because I know I'm going to butcher it. Ben, ben Knostman. Knostman. I'm so sorry. Tip. I'm so Knostman. sorry, Ben. <laughs> um, we kind of talked about him 
uh, a little earlier. Just he does he does it all for Tib. Um, putting up 16 points, eight rebounds, seven assists per game. That's a heck of a stout. <laughs> Such a smooth player, and you we watched him against Sydney, and for a half he looked like one of the best players in the area. Second mm-hmm. half, Sydney kind of defended him a little harder, and. He kind of he got, got into foul, some foul, foul trouble, trouble of his own, which he, got, he, he backed off his aggressiveness and, a little bit. And he kind of got. I, I felt like there was a couple times he got a little flashy with his passing, which um I think yeah. I mean it's it's not it happens. You're gonna have those moments, and I don't hit, I don't I hate the kid for that, but you know definitely I know he's picked up some D two college interest as a result of how he has played um, as a junior. I think every. Every bit he could be the player of the year, not just this year, but next year in the Miami Valley League. For sure. Um, definitely one of the nicer juniors that we've got in this area. Yeah, uh, to go along with, with Trent, to go along with Isaiah Walker from Wyoming, uh, as well as Cameron McKenzie from Hughes. Um, just some other juniors to throw out there uh, as potential kids to keep an eye on over the next couple of or next year from the senior class. And then I got a few more seniors I'm going to throw out, and then that's my list. Um, I said I mentioned I said I would mention earlier Tyler Eberhardt from Kenton Ridge, averaging a double double per game, 20 points, 11 rebounds. Big reason why Kenton Ridge is is having the success that they are having right now. Um, he's six foot seven. He's a University of Charleston. It's a Division two, not the Division one Charleston mm-hmm. uh, signee. Man, the kid again. Haven't seen him play this year. Last time I saw him, end of his junior year against Northridge. I mean, the kid was showing us just how versatile he was. Uh, not only could he do uh, damage as a interior scorer, but he was able to extend his range to the, the mid-range as well. Um, I know free throw line extended, he was able to, to hit shots consistently. Defensively, he was able to rebound the ball at a very, very, very high level. Well, And then we saw what he could do as well at Capitol. Uh, for the the Ohio coaches um, showcase, yes, uh, playing against competition that that at Kenton Ridge maybe he's not going to find during the regular season, uh, but that that AAU sort of talent that you're going to see. Yeah, and that's a, that's a that's a sad thing. And again, I I hate that he's so far away. If he was more local, I'd love to see him uh, more often. But you know, the CBC just the you have a lot of tall players, but maybe not the same talent levels he is but mm-hmm. uh, definitely a solid player um staying in the cbc another guy austin parker from indian lake 21 points eight rebounds two blocks a game uh indian lake is you know they're not a household name in the in the local scene uh they definitely struggle uh, here and there playing in division three you know they're not going to match up well against teams like stivers but parker uh, really, really, really good player inside and out. Mm-hmm. Uh, a player we both really enjoy watching here, Kalen McKinney from West Carrollton. Yep, senior. Uh, we interviewed him for the, um, the for our podcast over the summer when it got a little slower. But uh, he's leading the Miami Valley League in, in scoring. scoring. Uh, we watched him against Belmont, and just pretty much any three point shot he was putting up, he was he was knocking down. A um, kid who works really hard too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, not not afraid. I mean, probably the most impressive play to me uh, in that game that we saw him play against Belmont. Uh, not just the three point shooting, but uh, in the second half when West Carrollton was trying to make a bit of a run, uh, he had a three that was wide open that he took. You know, a lot of kids would throw up that three and watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he shot it. You know, I don't know if he felt it was short or what, but the kid put it up and he busted it inside to the paint, 
got in there against Belmont's big guys, pulled down a big rebound, and then gave a very nice pass across the lane um, to one of his teammates to help them pull within seven points in that game, Mm -hmm. which was their biggest run. Um, Kid who not only, again, not only can the kid shoot the ball, uh, but he works hard all the time. Yeah. And then my last name I got here is Fred Shropshire from Emmanuel Christian. Uh, 18 points, 4 assists per game. Um, again, a kid don't get to see very much of because of where they're located. Definitely has been through his career with the Lions building his way up as one of the better guards. I remember him as a freshman. He was leading in certain categories. And you know, I had heard he was going to be a name to watch as uh, he got older. And he's definitely impressed. And again, Emmanuel Christian is in the running for the Metro Buckeye Conference because of how he has played. Um, really, the senior class um, has been... You know, there's a lot of great names that a lot unknown, a lot of knowns, but uh, those are just some of mine. I know Seth, yeah. you got a couple more names that you wanted to throw out there. I mean, just just a couple. I mean, Steve Gentry Jr. from Deer Park. I uh, he's he's been the big reason why they've had the success that they've had. Um, <clears throat> I'm just trying to go down here. Max Land from Moeller. Oh, he's having a heck of a year. Yes. Um, as well as Alex Williams, one of his teammates. Um, I, I think when you maybe look at some of the higher scoring stat lines, uh, those two guys are right around 14, 15 points a game. Uh, but with the depth that Moeller plays with, that doesn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if, if more than anything, it shows the, the team mentality that they play with and the cohesiveness uh, that that Moeller team plays with. Um, and that's pretty much, uh, we mentioned Cameron McKenzie. Uh, from Hughes, I know, jumping back to junior class. Um, another kid who's lighting it up, 23 points a game. A big reason why he's having success. And we watched him against Fairmont. He was definitely their best player in that yeah, game. By far, sir. Uh, I think that pretty much wraps up. Oh, I'll throw out two more. Uh, Thurgood, uh, Makai Elmore, uh, and Anthony McComb. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony uh, McComb being a junior. Mikhail Elmore being a sophomore, uh, you know, Trotwood's had their ups and downs this season uh, in terms of their record anyways, uh, but those are two guys drive the motor of that third. You meant they're good, yeah. They're good, what'd I say? Trotwood. I said Trotwood, yeah. my, my apologies. <laughs> so let's talk about surprises this year. What is been some of the biggest surprises in your guys' eyes. So I th- I th- and I think we can, we've elaborated on a lot of these. Um, so I, I've got kind of a short list here. Same. Um, I'll give you my top three. Uh, the performance that, that the Sydney Jackets have put on uh, with losing the talent that they lost last year. Uh, the fact that they're, they're rolling out here um, and doing what they're doing at 14-1 and one on the season. Uh, and in control of the MVL, I think has been incredibly impressive. Um, Taft, the question mark of what's going on there. I, I think they're getting back to a place or they're getting finally to that place of cohesive play where they're starting to gel, uh, where, where that question mark at the beginning of the season was what most people was the only thing they had against these guys. Um, and then my last one, um, surprising was that was the Fairmont win over. Uh, again, we elaborated on that, uh, but those are probably my big three surprises of the season. 
I'm going to give you three as well. Um, my first one is the success overall of the Midwest Athletic Conference. Um, I know we mentioned that Michael Stammen from Versailles was the only first-team player from the MAC last year that came back. That's how, like, so a lot of that talent last year was in that senior class that yeah. graduated. I mean, we talked about it. Versailles is undefeated, which wasn't a surprise. But then you got Minster, St. John's, and Parkway, all with double-digit wins. You got a Fort Recovery team that is three and three in their conference, but they're undefeated outside of the MAC. You got St. Henry, who's nine and seven, but they've been putting up fights with everyone they're playing in the MAC. This conference as a whole is a lot more competitive than we thought, and I can tell you, I th- I truly thought Versailles would be the only team to come out of this conference as a as a true contender come tournament time for a district title, district yeah. for a district title. And it's been, I mean, now truly I can see St. any John's one of those teams yeah. coming up, and and even biting uh, Versailles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they've had a lot of those teams. They've had two, three, four, five-point games. They're not double-digit wins every time they go out and play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my second point are, are some names that we didn't think, or excuse me, teams in the past that haven't been as great that this year are doing a much better. We talked about West Carrollton being one of the top teams in the MVL, at least in the top half of the MVL this year. We talked about and ten and five overall. Yeah, I mean they were I mean they were winless a couple years ago. So I mean they've done a great job there. Another team we were talking a little bit beforehand, Botkins. They're ten and four. I can tell you right now, I didn't think Botkins would be anywhere <laughs> close to running in the Shelby County League. And heck, they've beaten Parkway, who we I just mentioned, and they beat Fort Laramie by double overtime. So very, very good team there. And my third point are two teams that in the past have been very great that I didn't expect to be good that ended up being good. Um, <laughs> Fairmont was one of them. Um, again, they're just – when you lose four starters, then the one player we did think was going to come back, Andre O'Daniel, did not. Did not. Did yeah. not you know, no starters coming back. You're, you're, you're bound to think, well, this team's not going to be very great. They're 6-9. and nine. They've beaten Hughes. They've beaten Springfield. You know, it's, they've got some momentum to try to close on a 500 season. Mm-hmm. They're young, so it tells me the next year or two they could be even better. Right, yeah. But then the other one was Dunbar, and with Dunbar, I just felt like they were going to be the bottom dweller of the city league. I thought there's no way that they're going to be able to to compete with Thurgood and Stivers. Well, they beat Stivers. Um, I believe they gave Thurgood a good game, and mm-hmm. they've won a couple matchups. They've they're I don't think they're a district title team by any means, but. You know, the fact that they are sitting in the four spot in, in the Dayton City League is is quite impressive and I think is a good win for a group that last year missed the postseason because of sanctions from the OHSAA and they only won, I believe, three games last year anyway. Yeah. So, this is my... Yeah, I think that covered. <laughs> <laughs> How about your guys' upcoming schedule? Which games do you have circled? Which games do you have plans to go out and see? Which games that... You want to go see now, but you never thought you saying you want to go see. <laughs> uh, certainly the big one for us, or, or for myself, is going to be the Cedarview-Greenview matchup uh, or rematch um, that's going to be taking place uh, in, in about a week uh, next Friday, February 7th. Uh, again, probably going to decide that, that Ohio Heritage Conference, that's a big game. Um, I mean, I would love to get out and see a Moeller LaSalle game. Uh, you know, for those of you who are down in Cincinnati, that's a heck of a game to see. Uh, Tony, 
Um, I think Alter Baden, that rematch, I mean, again, that's going to really determine um, the GCL, the old GCL, no, not the old, excuse me, the GCL co-ed, kind of who, who's in control there. And that's coming up February 14th, so mm-hmm. I know it's Valentine's Day. We may have to throw money and flowers and chocolate at our wives Beyonce, to be able to get gonna, out there. We're going to have to see on that one. <laughs> um, and, I mean, and, and I think also Trotwood Centerville is going to be a great game. The Wayne Centerville rematch, that's going to be a, a big uh, game changer. Franklin Oakwood, Franklin also Oakwood. on Valentine's Day. Um, um, let's see what else <laughs> the, the problem with a lot of these is that they're all on the same nights. Uh, yeah. your, your three biggest nights pretty much for matchups coming up is this Friday, the 31st. Uh, you've got February 7th, which is the following Friday. And then you've got the Friday after that, which is February 14th, right. that last Real game of the season, in regular season. Anyways. As for our as for our upcoming schedule, I'm set Cedarville Greenview. We're about ninety percent sure that we're going to be there. Um, one I will say for our upcoming schedule, one of the things Seth and I strive on and we're proud of is we try to cover truly cover as many teams as possible in in the Dayton area. Um, all those teams we named, those conferences are none of them are off limits. Um, we plan on the next week or so looking at who we've seen play who we haven't seen play, and try to get out and see as many teams that we haven't seen play yet uh, this rest of January and, and February up until the tournament starts. The sectional tournament starts in uh, February 17th. So, yeah, I mean, I mean we're, just a we're, couple weeks. We're very close. So, um, And we will be out at sectionals, districts, regionals, and, mm-hmm. and the state finals um, with, with both of us having um, sports prep writers' credentials We'll, we'll be at all of those games. Uh, during the regular season, we do tend to stay a little bit closer to the nucleus of Dayton just because we both work full-time jobs. We've got families of our own, uh, and it's not a full-time thing for us. Uh, so getting up to some of those northern leagues, some of the southern leagues, to see games on Tuesday nights can be extremely tough. Uh, and you know, just with the way our schedules work, but we certainly try to, to pay attention to as much as we possibly can. You know, we're both very active on the social media front of mm-hmm. it, uh, as well as just from overall information. I can, I can tell you that the majority of the G-Walk and a good chunk of the GCL we've seen. So most Correct. of our time, I would, if I had to guess, again, we'll have to look and kind of figure out specifics. More than likely, you know, Southwestern Buckeye League teams, um, some of these Metro Buckeye Conference teams. If we can get up there, a Shelby County or a Cross County Conference game would be great. So we'll definitely be, you know, keep keep track of our, our website as well as our Twitter page. We'll definitely be letting people know ahead of time uh, where we plan on heading. And we will do the same come state tournament time. Yes. Uh, some of those teams that we expect to make deeper runs will fall down our list of teams to go see. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll look to see some of those smaller school matchups when – those other outlying teams are coming to sectional or district games. I mean, with the districts being at UD Arena, makes it makes it very easy to see a whole wealth of talents. So what we're saying is, Trotwood, we love you, but we're not going to We probably watch. won't go see you until you're in the regionals. We're not going to watch <laughs> you win by 100 in your sectional opener. Sorry. <laughs> and you mentioned Twitter and social media. For those that don't know it, what is it? Uh, you've got at SWOFCP on Twitter. Um, and then you can go to our website where we carry more of our written content. Um, Southwest Ohio, 
fcp.com. No, Seth, uh, Seth does a great job uh, doing a lot of. He does a lot of the written game recap content on the site. You know, he does very extensive work and does some really good work. I do more of the the, the power, power rankings, rankings, which you and analysis on that. So um, we update that as frequently as we can. Again, with full time jobs and wives and wedding planning and all that, sometimes it gets a little. <laughs> um, Gets a little hectic. Hectic is a good word for it. So we do the best we can, but you know that's that's the best way to find it. The website is usually updated before the Twitter page, so um, that'd yep, probably be your yep. first. And so yeah, so the the podcast and social media stuff yes. again at SWOFCP and then the website uh, SWOFCP.com. Gentlemen, it's been another great episode. Thanks for uh, joining me this evening. Thanks, Lee. For uh, thank us. you for having us. Enjoyed it. And we'll have to talk a little bit more uh, during the playoffs, maybe after the playoffs. Certainly. Yes, sir. Again, that's Tony Peters and Seth Kime of the Southwest Ohio Full Court Press Podcast here on the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. We'll be back after a quick breather. Just before we wrap up episode 133, a reminder, you can buy gear supporting the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. Here's Al. Hey, listeners. Did you know that you can buy gear supporting the local Sunday Sports Podcast? Visit the LeeWMowen.com slash podcast, then click on Buy Podcast Merchandise, made by T Public. You can get shirts, hoodies, mugs, phone cases, and even stickers. Check out the local Sunday sports gear by T Public. And a couple of new things to talk about. First up, shot clocks for high school basketball. Something I didn't think about. It was an article on Pow Item. Very Indiana-heavy sourced this episode, but that's okay. I like Pow Item. I like Richmond. I like that area. Again, it's from Scott Proctor. Should high school basketball adopt a shot clock? Area coaches weigh in. There's a lot of back and forth on this, actually. Uh, Even on my post that I have on here, there's... A lot of back and forth. Actually, it's even right now, but to read a little bit of the article, currently there's eight states in the United States, Massachusetts, Maryland, Rhode Island, Washington, New York, California, North Dakota, and South Dakota. They use shot clocks of 30 or 35, and doing so forfeits their opportunity for service on the Basketball Rules Committee. Okay, why is that a thing? It's like, oh, shot clocks? No. Keep in mind that everything collegiate, you know, minor league basketball and, you know, the pros have a shot clock. It's nothing new. It's been around for a while. Why is it that when high schools are trying to get you ready for the collegiate game where, guess what, you need a shot clock, you lose your voice in this community. I don't know. That doesn't make any sense to me, but there you go. In March of 2018, the NBA and USA Basketball announced recommendations for youth basketball regulations and a 24-second shot clock for high school basketball games being one of those recommendations. Jason Will, I believe that's Will, possibly Willie, W-I-L-L-E, the Sports Information Director for the Indiana High School Athletics Association, said a move to change would be a mistake on the state's behalf. If the IHSAA were to adapt the shot clock, which isn't part of the rules right now, we would essentially be giving up our voice on the National Basketball Rules Committee, like I previously mentioned in that little tangent I had. 
which would be a pretty grave mistake, actually, given the importance of the game in our state. Solid point, because, you know, in 49 states it's just basketball, but this is Indiana. Well, over there's Indiana. We're in Ohio. So that's a good point, and I get that. I get losing your voice in a very big community is uh, quite uh, quite a scare to jump on the change boat, so I get it. But you also have in high school basketball where other than your five seconds, ten seconds, three seconds violations, you know, you can hold on to the ball as long as you want. So, I don't know. I, I personally think that shot clock would speed up the game, possibly get more points in there. Maybe not defensively. I don't know. So going on to the pal-item.com article. That's pal-item. Shabazz Kalig of Richmond, the boys basketball coach with the Red Devils. His answer is, he thinks it's a great idea. The shot clock doesn't negate success for others, but I think it helps kids, especially kids that go off to college. And they'll throw out numbers about only a small percentage of kids go off to play in college or whatever. Well, why about the enjoyment of the game? We're asking fans to pay money to come support the team. You have the casual fan who wants to watch a good game. They don't want to watch a team hold it or finish it off with a score of 44-41. We collectively as a basketball state have to cater to our consumer, and that's the fans. The shot clock will excite the fans. It'll bring more to the game, challenge coaches more. Players will enjoy it. I think I'll prepare players more, and I think it's beyond time for a change. Solid points from Shabazz colleague of the Richmond Red Devils. You have another huge advocate with the Union County Patriots girls coach and Scott Gray. As Coach Gray stalled stuff in the Wayne County tournament while he was there, people pulling the ball out, stalling, things like that, and he hates it. Don't think it's real basketball. I agree. That's my reason why I would like a shot clock. The other thing is, any high school coach who has aspirations to work at the college level needs a chance to maybe do that in high school, so the transition is a lot easier. Like I mentioned, it's you know, there's a lot of yes and no's on this. This is pretty neat to hear yes and no why. This is the first no. Brent Ross of Northeastern for boys basketball with the Knights. I don't think they should force a shot clock. I think you have a lot of great coaches in the state, and it takes away from their creativity of sometimes how to stay in a basketball game if you're not as athletic or skilled as some teams. The game would be more exciting. The crowd likes it better, but I believe there's something to say, too, for coaches who can teach how to manage the overall game clock and short a game, maybe, if they're not as talented as another team. Solid point. You have a coach that's not sure for or against which, you know, that's kind of like me. I, I like to see it, but then again, you know, eh. This is uh, the girls' basketball coach for the Union City Indians, Sarah Black. She runs a very good program at Union City. There have been times when a shot clock would have been advantageous for us, and there are other times that it could have been detrimental to us. I think part of the game is clock management, and a shot clock would take this part of the game away. The game has changed even within the last 10 years. It's more physical and much faster paced than it has been in the past. Incorporating the shot clock with playing this style of gameplay, what she believes is something that fans like. These are not players that will play in college or the pros, just kids who are playing the game for fun or something to do. Teams that are more advanced wouldn't struggle with nearly as much. 
And then you have the girls basketball coach of Northeastern. Remember we had that quote from the boys basketball coach of Northeastern. This is girls coach Sarah Mayo. If they put a shot clock on, it'll still be to our advantage. We're constantly looking at the clock. I mean, if there's five minutes left, we're going to try to run minutes off the clock. Winning a ball game is winning a ball game. She thinks it'd prepare a lot of these kids to go on to the next level, but not all the kids want to do so. I truly think it depends on team. I don't think it'll work well as a high school group. See a lot of yeses and noes on there. Again, this is Scott Proctor of the Palladium Item. And now on my comments, they're not as detailed. There's a yes, there's two yeses, and there's a god no from Michael Hearn. And then we have Rob Adams chiming in. Connecticut doesn't have it in public schools, but the private schools do. Which is quite interesting, because, you know, in Ohio we have that issue too, private versus public. They did have something that will help out both private and public, so that was pretty nice. New York has it also. It's a much different game. Calling a stall is awful. Calling by broadcasting. Or officiating might be awful, too. I'm not sure. I'm not an official. So, there's a good point on that. And then, to round up the comments, no shot clock, Nate Stidham. That's funny. There's two broadcasters in Northwest Ohio saying, no, no shot clock. Very interesting. But, there you go. My personal take on it is... It'd help out the stalling, but then again, right now, if you're going to put in shot clocks, then you lose your voice in the National Basketball Rules Committee. And, you know, for Indiana, is it really worth that risk? Eh, probably not. I did ask Tony and Seth about this, because just like how we found out one of the players that transferred to Taft transferred back out from Taft after we said all those nice things in the first one, you know, I thought, hey, so Seth messes it back. Some states use it, some don't. The national teams all use it. I'd personally love to see Ohio either use 30 or 35. It helps the games not drag, prepares players for the next level. And the national circuit does 30 seconds. This is from Seth Kime. I mean, that's my biggest thing. If you look at any other sport, I mean, step up. You know, of course, you're going to have to put more work into it type of thing, like, you know, your fitness and your training and everything like that, and plus your academics as well. Not like you didn't have to do that in high school, but you get what I'm saying. Anyway, I, like I said, I'm on the fence. I like to see it, but then again, I get the reasons why not, too, so. I don't know. If you want to give out your opinions, you know the social media accounts to shout off at on Twitter at Sunday Pod or mine at the Lee W. Mallon. And now for something completely different. You know about the Dayton Dragons. We talk about them all the time. And you know they have the longest selling streak, selling out streak in sports history now. 1385, 1385 straight games of selling out each and every contest. Well, you will no longer see the Dayton Dragons at Fifth Third Field. In fact, you will see them at a new place. The same field, but a different place. Or a different name, I should say, not a different place. Same field, different place. What sense does that make? I don't know. I'm too tired for this. The Dayton Dragons, today, so this is just like a couple hours ago, not even, well, about an hour and a half, today announced a new 
naming rights deal for the region's only single-A baseball stadium. Enter Dayair Credit Union, a Kettering-based financial cooperative, has entered a multi-year agreement for naming rights to the stadium. And this will go on past the 2029 season. So, minimum, you'll get to call it the Dayair ballpark for the decade, starting today. Dayair Credit Union, like I mentioned, and Kettering, great history on the credit union, starting back in 1945 with all the money from the members going into a cigar box. To the Miami Valley's premier credit union in 2019. It was formed in 1945, which is getting close to the end of World War II, by 26 employees of the United States Air Force Depot Gentile Station, later known as the DESC, who came together as a group to help each other improve their financial situations. After much discussion, the original members decided to combine the name to Day Air, Dayton, the Air Force, because, you know, right pat. Again, the cigar box, you can find all this history if you're interested in it, dayair.org. And it's open to anyone that lives in the area, Preble, Montgomery, Green, you know, in the Miami Valley. Actually, there's a couple counties out, but, you know, there you go. So, yeah. When I first heard the news this morning with my fiance, we were both discussing that I'm pretty sure it's going to be named after a healthcare company. I mean, if you look at it, Premier Health, Kettering Health, they donate big chunks of money to high school fields and everything. Bellbrook's got Miami Valley South Stadium. I'm trying to think of other names right now, but I know Bellbrook. What's Eaton's field name? I feel like that's medical something. I don't know. I can tell you Valley Views isn't. That's Parker Field. Unless Parker was a doctor of some sort, then but that doesn't really count, does it? Who's got good Samaritan Field? Is that Northmont? That's not Miamisburg too, is it? You get where I'm going with this. There are a lot of fields with either name of either Premier Health or Kettering, the two big uh, conglomerates and that uh, such, or there's big sponsorships by all of them. So, I was wrong. It's Day Air Ballpark, who's been around this area since 1945, got started by the near Air Force Base. I think that's quite nice. I mean, it's a Dayton company taking over Dayton Ballpark. I always like Fifth Third Field because Fifth Third is Cincinnati, which is, no, it's local on the podcast, but you have an even more local company coming in for the naming rights. So, definitely looking forward to that. The logo is up on social media. Let's pull it up real quick and tell you a little bit about it. It is it is a diamond shape. Click right there. Make sure we're searching for the right thing. It's a diamond shape, green and blue colors. It's going to be weird not seeing the fifth third field shield up there. The old one was black and red, the old fifth third colors, and then eventually after they changed the colors to blue and green, the shield did too. Now we're not going to have fifth third field up there anymore, so. And, of course, the Day Air Credit Union has the hot air balloon as its logo above the words, so you'll have that, too. I can't wait to see what it looks like. Pretty sure the new sign isn't up yet. It'll be up by April, you know, opening night. Yeah, new naming deal for former Fifth Third Field. 
That's going to be different, calling it a day air ballpark, but there you go. And that's also, what, the second team that's changed their field from 5th, 3rd to something else? The Kane County Cougars being the first one that's now Northwestern Mutual... Northwestern Health and stuff. Health and stuff, that's a great name for the field. You still got 5th, 3rd field in Toledo. You still got 5th, 3rd ballpark in West Michigan. That's Grand Rapids area. Comstock Park, to be precise. And you still got 5th, 3rd arena at UC. So there you go. Brand new name for the Dayton Dragons, sticking with a Dayton company. We'll stick with the Dayton Dragons. Actually, we'll go up a couple levels to the Cincinnati Reds. Wow, this offseason's been fun, hasn't it? Look at all the pieces that the Reds had. The first Japanese-born player ever in franchise history, which I still can't get over that fact. Just, that's crazy to think. It's the oldest city to have a major league baseball team, and yet never a Japanese-born player there. That's, I don't know. I, I thought it would have happened sooner, but there you go. Well, you can throw another name into the mix. How about former West Michigan Whitecap, former Detroit Tiger, former Chicago Cub, Nicholas Castellanos. Third baseman, right fielder, now with the Cincinnati Reds. His deal is very team and player friendly, which I know that sounds very weird. If Castellanos doesn't have a good year, he can just take the $64 million four-year deal and just, you know, hold on to that. If he has a very great year, he can opt out of the deal and test the three free agent waters, which would be great for him. And stuck in the middle, you know, they the two can talk about it. I really like this deal, and I've liked seeing Castellanos throughout the years. I even mentioned on Twitter, that's one of the first foes that I've seen and remembered quite some time. He was a great player for West Michigan. And in fact, I have his stats up here, thanks to BaseballReference.com. Single A with West Michigan, oh, he just hit 312 in 135 games, 562 at-bats. 76 RBIs, did strike out a bunch, 130, 245, and in fact, that's pretty common theme throughout, where it's about four times more strikeouts per walks. In Chicago last year, since he got traded from the Tigers to the Cubbies, 47 strikeouts, 10 walks. I I still like his bat. I mean, 321 with Chicago in limited time, of course. Seven years in the majors, 277 batting average. That's not bad. That's not bad. And I really like that he can, you know, he's versatile, especially with the news about A. Eugenio Suarez having to get surgery, and he might not be ready for opening day 2020. Meaning Castellanos can go to third while Suarez is still healing up. Of course, yes, that means what to do with the outfield. What about Philip Irvin? What about Jesse Winker? What about Nixon Zell? Apparently, the brass with the red saying, no, we're not trading Nixon Zell, doesn't mean that he won't be traded at the trade deadline. I mean, the health is the big thing for Nixon Zell. He needs to stay healthy one whole year. I mean, bouts of vertigo and everything, that, that worries me about him. Not because, oh, well, he's not producing for the Reds. No, don't get me wrong. Just, that stuff's not fun. It's serious, so I definitely hope that Nick Senzel will be A-OK. While it creates a log jam in the outfield, think about it this way. The Reds are spending, what is it, $165 million for free agents? And it looks like, you know, they're ready to roll. 
I mean, all the money spread around. If you have a 1-8 start, you still have that 1-8 start, and that's a big hole to climb out of, which the Reds couldn't last year. And I was pretty optimistic. This year, I'm cautiously optimistic. I say that just because of the fact that, you know, I want to see this team succeed. And then I think, oh yeah, listening to it on radio isn't going to be as uh, great as it was last year. You know, Marty Brenneman no longer there. But there you go. Nicholas Castellanos is now a Cincinnati Red. And it's a player I got to see who's quite successful against the Dayton Dragons. I think that year, was it Lansing or West Michigan that won the title? But there you go. Drafted by the Tigers, first round, 44th pick of the 2010 June Amateur Draft from Archbishop McCarthy High School in Southwest Ranches, Florida. Got a war ranking career, war ranking at 7.1. Last year was at 2.7, which, if I understand war, wins above replacement. I don't like getting into stats because then I feel like I butcher them up and I sound like an idiot. I mean, I am an idiot, but there you go. So, a single season scale, if you have a war of plus two, you're a starter. If it's between zero and two, you're reserve. Or if you're under zero, then you're in the replacement level. If you have a single season war of eight plus, you're in talks for the MVP. Five plus, let's talk about the all-star. Two plus, you're replacing a starter. Like I said, career 7.1, last year was 2.7, so close to 3. That's not bad. It's not bad. So, like I said, really like this pickup, and I really have a good feeling about what the Reds can do this season. I still hope that the bullpen is being looked at. Granted, yes, the Reds have added a couple arms. Tyler Thornburg is one of them. He was the player that had that, what was it, the good 2016, but his injuries kept coming back and just affected his arm. I mean, the starting five, I like it right there. It just I just try to pick up some more bullpen pieces, like strong bullpen pieces. So we will see how the Cincinnati Reds do. That's, what, two weeks until pitchers and catchers report? And oh yeah, college baseball starts soon too? You know if I'm talking about baseball, there's no way. There's no way I'm not talking about college baseball. Can't wait to see both the Flyers and the Raiders. Should be a very good baseball season for both UD and WSU this year. And hopefully the media takes account into that. And lastly, we'll close out with something negative. Whatever do you mean? Michael Arace, Aris, from the Columbus Dispatch. It's a problem. You never hear how they say their name, so you know. Columbus Crew considers changing name colors as part of rebranding. The long response I had in my notes is no 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 the short answer is no but I think you got that from the long answer so there you go a lot of fans I saw on Twitter saying we need to save the crew again. I don't think it'll be that dire. It's not saying it's going to happen. They're looking into it. The current logo, the the circle, the shield. Well, it's the circle. The shield's something different. That's the old logo, the shield. 
the circle, I mean, I like it, but I also get that Anthony Precourt made it just so you could try to sell the team. <sighs> I'd be fine with the Columbus haha Precourt, you didn't move us, SC. Folks don't mind if the SC gets chopped off or if it's replaced with 96. Remember, a while back, they changed the official hashtag from Crew SC to Crew 96 again, which is the first year that the Columbus crew were in existence, along with MLS. The article on the Columbus Dispatch talks about it. We have engaged in dialogue about the historic projects underway. From the evolution of the league's first soccer-specific stadium to the Experience Center in the short north, to what the new downtown stadium will look like, it is seemingly prudent to evaluate how our supporters and new fans will interact with them. This club has been a vital part of the community for nearly 25 years, so any explorations of the identity of the projects must be done with the spirit of the past and what we believe the club can achieve in the next 25 years. Like I said, doesn't mean it's going to happen. They're just looking into this. But still, no, 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 no. Don't change the name, don't change the colors. And yes, you can make the point, black and gold, that's Pittsburgh colors. Pittsburgh! Well, yes, but no. Because the crews always rocked the gold and black. That's always been Columbus crew colors. From the first shield with the three gentlemen in the hard hats, where it said, the crew, that's always been Columbus colors. For the crew. I, like I said, no, don't change it. Logo update, okay, I'm fine with that. Because um, again, I know the current logo, while I still like it, I think it's a upgrade to the old one, the first one. Eh, it still is Anthony Precourts. You know, the guy trying to move the team to Austin. He's got his own Austin team to screw up. I mean, move in a couple of years. I mean, try to run in Texas. Sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm still not over the fact that he tried to do that. That's that's no good. So, through the article, it mentions the crew is not brown and orange, and it is not scarlet and gray. You hear that? That's why we talk about the crew, and the Clippers, and the Blue Jackets, and the Destroyers, and whatever the arena football team is coming into Columbus and high school hockey just because Southwest Ohio is basically intertwined with Columbus hockey. So there you go. That's not what the fans saved. They saved the black and gold. They saved the crew. Respect your roots is a really, is a very real thing here. So yeah. Now granted, it won't be this year. It'll be 2021 when they open the arena district field. But still. No on the name change. No on the color change. And if you're going to make a logo change, make it, you know, classy, soccery. And that's all I had to talk about this episode. I know it's uh, getting close to two hours. But there was a lot of things to cover. I want to thank Tony and Seth of the Southwest Ohio Full Court Press podcast for joining me once again. Talk some more boys basketball next week, episode 134. We'll probably get back to the one-minute dashes to cover college hoops. Dayton Flyers still ranked number seven after their road win at Richmond. They're at Duquesne tonight at PPG Paints Arena, you know, the big place where the Penguins play. 
the hockey team, not actual animals. They're playing there tonight as Duquesne's home arena gets renovated. And I think next year, next season, we'll open it up for the Dukes men's and women's and volleyball teams, I should say. So, Flyers are at Duquesne. The Raiders, starting tomorrow, will take on the dreaded trip to Wisconsin. Milwaukee first, Green Bay second. I think the women host the Wisconsin teams, Green Bay tomorrow, and Milwaukee Saturday. So definitely a lot of college hoops to go around. We'll cover all that next week. Until then, ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 133 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. And we'll talk to you again next episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. To subscribe to the podcast, please visit theleewmowen.com slash podcast. From there, you can choose your favorite platform, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and many more. Interact with the podcast and host on Twitter at the Lee W. Mallon and at Sunday Pod. Like the Facebook page, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, and download the free Flick Chat app. Then search for the local Sunday Sports Group to submit your future Mallon's mailbag questions. The closing theme is Lights Go Down by Dan Hennig, provided by the YouTube Music Library Collection. This is Lee W. Mowen, and I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please join me again next week on the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast.